For status, I'm Katil Hayek. Welcome. For our program Syria Now, I will speak today with uh, Omar Abdul Aziz Hallaj, uh, a consultant on urban planning, development, and local governance. He serves as the senior coordinator of the Syria project at the Common Space Initiative in Beirut. Uh, marhaba, Mr. Hallaj. Hello, Harina. Great. Uh, thank you so much for joining uh, us for status today. Most welcome. It's my pleasure. I would like to ask you uh, if you can tell us a little bit about your uh, new project, Syrian Echoes, and what you hope to achieve from, uh, from it. Um, the Syrian Echoes is actually not just our project. It's a collaborative work that uh, various partners have put together, and we have contributed to it uh, on some level. Uh, the uh, the issue here is to try to present uh, diversified readings of the Syrian conflict that can help uh, uh, zoom in and narrow in on opportunities for peace building. Um, the uh, partners who have worked on this uh, uh, outlet uh, are hoping to uh, bring different uh, scholarly work, but also uh, readings from the ground on where uh, there are opportunities for peace building and understanding a bit the conflict dynamics in Syria in a more sort of uh, balanced way to try to uh, develop ideas and initiatives that can support peace building in Syria. Um, most of the contributors uh, to this uh, uh, outlet are uh, going to be from different uh, Syrian and international actors who are engaged directly in uh, one way or another in uh, uh, doing peace work on the ground or in uh, uh, track three and track two type dialogues. And the idea is that through these antennas that uh, hardly anybody uh, seemed to be exploring in the public sphere, um, try to bring in voices and ideas that can uh, be a bit more constructive um, as opposed to the zero-sum binary uh, positioning that is uh, most uh, uh, kind of uh, symptomic of the Syrian uh, conflict. Uh, most of the political discussions around Syria have reduced to black and white uh, uh, images of uh, who's right and who's wrong, who's to blame and who's not to blame, um, trying to um, uh, create these simplistic narratives on Syria that uh, tend to ignore conflict dynamics on the ground and try to uh, uh, position uh, uh, binary solutions. Uh, what we're trying to look at is uh, where there are opportunities for uh, bottom-up approaches for peace, where there are uh, uh, people doing uh, some good work on the ground to help support stabilization and uh, help support um, uh, people coming together from the different geographies of Syria. Um, the intention here is to um, use this as a, an outlet for the different actors on peace building in Syria um, to start promoting uh, uh, new narratives on Syria. Uh, in principle, um, 
this is still uh, its uh, first uh, kind of uh, experimental edition. Uh, we're hoping uh, that as we go along that it will uh, start uh, bringing in more and more partners who are interested in uh, exploring some of those um, uh, possibilities and putting forward their ideas and their platforms uh, and exploring um, uh, sort of uh, uh, their potential for uh, reaching out wider audiences. The... Um, uh, newsletter is meant to reach um, a very diversified uh, level of audiences, um, primarily looking at um, uh, decision makers across uh, the Syrian conflict from the different parties that are uh, uh, involved internationally as well as nationally uh, on peace building. Uh, or uh, managing the complex dynamics. So um, it has uh, hopefully a, a reasonable outreach so far. And we are hoping to expand that outreach to uh, wider academic and, and uh, activist circles uh, across who are concerned with the Syrian uh, conflict. We wish you all the best luck with this important uh, project. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Halaz, you published recently an article, Geographies of Accents, Radicalization and the Shaping of the New Syrian Territoriality, in which no. you examine the new geographic realities created by the war in Syria. Can you tell us a little bit about this article and what, you were, what were your main conclusions? Um, I have uh, been observing for a while uh, through my work um, uh, sort of like uh, how the conflict is shaping up on the ground. Uh, what are the conflict dynamics that are emerging beyond the broader political narratives? Um, and in many ways, understanding what is emerging on the ground uh, as a result of these uh, broader conflict dynamics. The article itself is uh, meant to give a broader overview of uh, what is happening on the ground, but to of course to understand the conditions of the Syrian geography today, one has to understand where we came from. So the first half of the paper um, covers uh, a history or a historiography of how the Syrian territory emerged to begin with, uh, in uh, starting from the post-Ottoman period and looking at the statecraft and nation building uh, process that took place um, over a hundred years uh, until the conflict started, uh, looking at what were the techniques used by the uh, different powers uh, that uh, ruled over Syria to shape that territory. So starting from um, the French colonial uh, mandate and uh, the work it has done on homogenizing and normalizing uh, uh, administrative rules and procedures, uh, how the, the space itself was shaped through formal land regulations and land management processes to uh, uh, administrative processes uh, of local governance and service provision. Uh, uh, moving beyond the sort of nationalist discourses that um, were adopted uh, later on by uh, uh, the formal uh, narratives of the state in the latter years, 
um, it is important to remember that any uh, national project uh, eventually consumes uh, certain narratives and destroys other narratives uh, in the process of shaping itself. So the first half of the paper looks at uh, uh, what were the narratives construct, uh, that you were used to construct the Syrian state, um, but beyond the narratives also what were the uh, uh, tools of uh, administration, tools of local uh, power that were uh, used to shape uh, what eventually turned out to be a very centralized system, but also a very asymmetrical system. Um, one of the things that most Syrians uh, uh, were uh, hard to imagine is that uh, uh, when the conflict started in 2011, is that they were trying to think that this is a unified territory because they, uh, the government in Damascus has for the longest time projected an image of universality. So it turns out that uh, there are, uh, in reality, many narratives on the ground, and these narratives don't match the national uh, ethos or the national imagination. And the government has actually implemented uh, uh, various asymmetrical uh, rules and regulations, despite its very central nature. And this is the starting point, in a sense, um, uh, when we get to 2011, uh, we noticed that there were um, uh, lots of uh, differential investment processes, lots of administrative uh, differential processes, uh, um, uh, different uh, ways of coercing local uh, identities and local narratives, uh, and different mechanisms of inclusion or exclusion uh, in the national uh, territorial systems. Um, so the conflict starts with the understanding that, uh, or with people perceiving uh, themselves as the people against the state or the people against the regime, as uh, many people have put it, um, where in reality there were differential uh, mechanisms going on and that um, the different struggles of different communities and different political actors and different protagonists uh, uh, were very diversified and were not unified. And in a sense, uh, the starting point is to understand uh, how this sort of universal framework that the government has tried to implement in the past uh, fell apart. Um, so here, the second part of the paper projects three uh, parallel processes that were happening, not consequentially and not necessarily uh, in a sequence, but they were more or less happening uh, in parallel and progressing throughout the conflict. On the one hand, there was um, a progressive uh, uh, dismantling of the administrative system uh, that was set in place in previous years. Um, progressively, the institutional framework uh, became uh, impossible to maintain. There were a lot of uh, vested interests on the part of uh, supporters of the different parties in Syria to uh, actually move the process um, away from the central government which meant that different modalities of local governance emerged on the ground. So the paper describes a little bit how the different institutional structures and the different geographies, what is happening in opposition-held areas, what is happening in uh, uh, 
Kurdish self-administration, uh, Kurdish-dominated self-administration zones, uh, what is happening in uh, ISIS areas, but also what is happening in the central government still dominated areas. In that sense, um, the paper uh, projects that uh, uh, the conflict has fundamentally shaped the Syrian territory by creating new realities of uh, uh, administrative rules in the different geographies. Despite the fact that many of the actors still profess to use the Syrian um, normative framework for local governance, in reality, uh, the interpretation of that normative framework has differed considerably from one area to the next. And we're starting to notice that um, uh, there's a new uh, kind of set of actors that are emerging. Uh, um, and in a sense, uh, one of the key aspects of, uh, uh, of this fragmentation is that though the same building blocks, which are the local councils in one form or the other, are um, observed across the territory, the linkages and interrelationships between these local councils and their ability to create a vertical uh, and a hierarchical structure that would maintain uh, the, the unity of the terrain um, sort of gets dismantled. The second aspect of this fragmentation is, of course, how different local econ uh, sort of uh, political economies emerged uh, as a result of these uh, new conflict dynamics. And in here, I specifically look at the uh, uh, paradigm of external aid and how external aid contributed to further fragmenting uh, the territory. And uh, in a sense, uh, uh, looking at uh, uh, how aid uh, created these localized communitarian um, uh, frameworks that uh, uh, helped uh, to further distance different communities one from the other rather than creating collaborative frameworks or linkages, uh, horizontal and vertical. So uh, aid played, uh, as I argue in the paper, a detrimental role in uh, uh, actually uh, allowing and enabling communities to uh, link to one another, making the only linkages between the different territories in Syria and the different terrains um, uh, incumbent on what the armed actors can provide. So, uh, in a sense, uh, indirectly, the way the aid was uh, structured uh, helped the armed actors and progressively the more radical of them, whether on the opposition or on the government side. Uh, this is uh, not an argument for one side or the other. It is just to look at how the hardened, uh, more radical, more um, uh, sort of... Um, violent actors uh, started uh, uh, reigning over the territory because uh, external aid uh, basically did not encourage civilians to build uh, territorialities. It encouraged only the armed actors to control these territorialities. And uh, thirdly, in the absence of... Um, uh, institutional and economic linkages that uh, link the territory together, um, we started uh, observing particularly how radical groups 
um, in this case, uh, particularly on the opposition side, but also uh, on the government side, started developing ideologies and uh, uh, cultural realities that interpret the terrain in a different way. And in a sense, uh, creating um, uh, paradigms that would um, uh, now uh, transform the terrain culturally and not just um, institutionally and economically. So we have here uh, symbolic structures that are emerging, symbolic structures that uh, Salafi jihadist groups insist on uh, controlling uh, just to ensure uh, that their symbolic dominance over the terrain is maintained. Things like the courts, uh, uh, the policing, uh, in, uh, in jihadist narratives, um, uh, a, a state is not is until uh, and unless it controls the courts and the policing. So uh, while the West was trying to de-radicalize uh, the Syrian terrain and to work with the moderates, um, they focused a little on how uh, cultural uh, tools of radicalization were being used on the ground. So, in sum, the paper is arguing that the the dynamic on the ground and how the territory is shaping up and how the real power is yielded on the ground um, actually do not match the um, processes that are being set by the international community for resolving the conflict. This kind of uh, notion of a liberal peace building that would somehow bring democratization from the top to Syria um, is not matched by what's happening on the ground um, and does not touch the conflict dynamics at its very grassroots level. So uh, the paper is uh, trying to raise attention that uh, there's a big gap between um, the um, language of the Security Council 2254 and the uh, formal positioning of the uh, uh, international players on Syria who are trying to proclaim that they're supporting peace building and what is happening on the ground. You wrote and worked a lot around issues of peace and community resilience in Syria. Can you share with us your perspective on what can bring peace to Syria right now? Uh, part of the problem that has uh, sort of beleaguered the Syrian uh, conflict is that uh, people from day one uh, used very simplified narratives to describe the situation in Syria, not focusing on the multi-layers of conflicts that are actually uh, uh, in place one on top of the other or one in side by side with the others. Uh, so there was this kind of simplified notion that the conflict in Syria is one narrative, whether on the opposition side they believe uh, that this is a, a revolution of a people against the regime or whether on the government side that believes that this is an external conspiracy. Um, uh, in reality, uh, there's uh, many, many, many uh, conflicts going on at the same time in Syria. And uh, of course, like in any um, conflicts, um, the, the primary conflicts um, will start generating secondary and tertiary conflicts as we go along. So it's important to keep in mind that uh, uh, despite the fact that there's an overwhelming uh, uh, evidence to the uh, 
uh, sort of violence that's being generated by the government's response to the um, uh, uprising and, and uh, revolutionary forces. Um, there is also uh, other secondary uh, issues at play and conflict dynamics. And now there's a solid war economy that is fueling the conflict. So some of our work, uh, uh, whether uh, directly ourselves or through partners and uh, uh, other civil society groups, is to try to uh, forge uh, uh, dialogues at different levels, dialogues that would enable uh, Syrians to talk to each other at uh, the various levels, whether that is on a very communal and local level, whether that is on a technical level, whether that's on a political level, whether that is um, uh, even um, between the Syrian actors and international players. So in a sense, if we're going to look at what would it take to build peace in Syria, it would need to move away from uh, the black and white narratives and focus more on the multi-layers and the multi-entry points that are needed. Um, there are ways that um, one has to deal with the conflict dynamic in terms of uh, securing a transformation from a, a war economy to back to somewhat of a peace economy, which means we need to look at the peace, uh, sorry, the uh, economic networks and the value chains that the war has produced and see how we can transform those into uh, more peace-oriented uh, uh value chains. There's work that needs to happen on local governance to ensure um, the vertical and horizontal linkages between the different layers of governance in Syria, uh, trying to reconsolidate the territory in the hands of civilian actors uh, and strengthen uh, uh, the local decision making uh, over uh, local governance, but at the same time, uh, build win-win situations between the different localities. So local governance will feature a very important role in uh, conflict uh, resolution in the future, particularly as there are um, important actors who are saying that they can no longer win this situation. So uh, some form of a power sharing is going to be needed at the end of the day. And if this power sharing is only looked at at the top level, it's not going to work. So you're going to have to look also at what kind of power sharing structures are going to happen between center and periphery, uh, between the different types of communities. How do we ensure uh, minority rights in the process? How do we ensure uh, uh, that the uh, uh, power elites are somehow tamed uh, in the process um, and creating opportunities for um, uh, sort of um, bottom-up uh, checks and balances that will need to take place. Um, almost invariably, when you talk to all of the Syrian protagonists in the conflict about what they expect out of the peace-building process, um, they are still talking right now in zero-sum terms. We're going to win. Uh, and I think it's important to start moving into situations, probably uh, talking about win-win is uh, too premature and too naive, but we're going to need to look at frameworks of no lose, no lose, and framework of ensuring some sort of uh, 
uh, stability and some sort of normalization uh, of um, uh, living conditions uh, so that people can actually start moving away from zero-sum thinking into um, uh, areas where uh, the dialogue and the negotiations can be more constructive. As long as people are being bombarded, as long as uh, explosions are taking place, as long as uh, barrel bombs are being used and dropped from the sky, it is rather impossible for people to think in anything but zero-sum uh, terms. So quite a bit of things can take place on the ground uh, to support peace building uh, by sort of creating the right environment and the right uh, uh, positioning um, uh, for the uh, different actors to feel at ease to engage in a political process. Right now, uh, peer pressure, um, moral pressure uh, is preventing people from uh, even imagining or thinking situations where people would have to live together. Of course, as we move along, um, even if there are uh, conditions for a political deal, there are very difficult technical problems that would have to be looked at. Uh, things like uh, having 12 million or more uh, displaced or refugee people, the, simply the logistics of their return is going to be a nightmare, particularly uh, since um, uh, issues of housing, uh, land and property will be very difficult to resolve in light of the massive destruction that has taken place. And we're going to need to look at uh, restitution mechanisms that may or may not necessarily involve uh, the right of return. Uh, or there might be some other forms of compensations that would have to be looked at because simply the magnitude of the destruction is just impossible to fathom. Uh, there are other issues that will have to be looked at, uh, which are, you know, what kind of institutions would have to be built in the uh, post-agreement situation. Um, of course, the, the old institutions are still there, but they are completely devoid of their capacity to manage the territory and to actually influence uh, decision-making in the different geographies. So how do you create... Um, um, uh, different institutional capacities and what reforms would institutions need to take uh, shape, uh, uh, what institutions need to be shaped um, to actually manage the, the, the post-conflict situation. Um, and of course, there's the top-level political uh, process. I mean, one cannot undermine um, the importance of coming up to terms with a political uh, transition of sorts, uh, the question is what kind of a political transition? Um, the issue does not just pertain to who is at the top of the helm, but what are the uh, power structures that are uh, then controlling the post-conflict? Um, in theory, even if you had a political transition at the top, you're still going to need to come up to terms with uh, how you re- aggregate the territory that has been fragmented by war. So will that um, uh, re-aggregation take place uh, from the top down? That means uh, will the international community create sufficient leverage for a political process to reunify Syria from the top down? Or will they fail to have a, a real compromise on a power sharing deal from the top so they may have 
uh, bottom-up power-sharing models. Um, you know, uh, in this particular case, the the Russian projection of a federalist constitution in Syria is quite indicative, and this whole talk about safe zones and uh, uh, stabilization areas. So all of these options uh, need to be discussed. Uh, they need to be discussed politically as well as technically for their feasibility. Um, and uh, we need to always uh, understand sort of who are the real political players on the ground, who are the power brokers, where is the uh, political economy uh, taking any of these uh, entry points uh, for peace building. Um, the international community has just barely now started to think about uh, the complexity of the Syrian situation. And most of the UN work on Syria had been sort of encumbered by um, the deadlock in the Security Council. So it has been mainly focused on humanitarian issues. The humanitarian uh, dimension is, of course, very important. But let's be very frank. All of the money that has been spent on humanitarian work in Syria covers only but a fraction of the needs. And unless we can manage to move beyond humanitarianism to look at um, creating multiplier effects, creating uh, development structures that can regenerate peacetime economies, uh, creating governance uh, structures that can stabilize communities, creating local peace uh, uh, frameworks that can reduce violence, um, we're not going to move very far on peace building. So... Um, some of our work is, um, uh, of course, we're an NGO and we can only uh, support as much as our resources allow, uh, is trying to engage Syrians in thinking about this complexity and uh, moving uh, away from the binary black and white uh, and zero-sum narratives. Uh, you seem very busy with all these current projects, but I was wondering uh, if you are wo working on a new project or future project uh, that you want to share with us, what they are? In a way, we're trying to always uh, look at how we can tackle the situation uh, on the ground, but also how we can bring in uh, different influences into the process. We're a small team, but we have a very wide network of partners. And the idea is to start uh, empowering uh, the partners more and more to carry uh, that same logic of work into the different geographies in Syria, expanding the work on the ground. Uh, so we're uh, building um, uh, some uh, tools and instruments to build the capacity of different partners to uh, carry um, uh, this approach and this kind of uh, uh, thinking uh, into their work uh, in the different parts of Syria, whether it's in opposition, government, uh, or even uh, the self-administration areas. Um, we're particularly keen on uh, also looking at diasporas and understanding what role will the diasporas play back in the peace-building process. Uh, over uh, six million Syrians have been uh, uh, sort of um, forced to leave the country altogether. And uh, in here, it's very important to see how the people on the outside uh, can contribute uh, directly or indirectly back into their 
towns and cities and uh, villages. And um, one of the things that we are trying to look at is uh, uh, opening up this kind of uh, channel from the outside and uh, back to Syria. So um, we have a lot of work and uh, I don't think we can do it all alone. Uh, so the the approach for the next phase is to really start uh, building uh, solid partnerships. And uh, our resources are going to be focused on, on enabling our partners to uh, grow and to uh, expand. Uh, that's why very often we operate without, uh, 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 let's say, focus on... Uh, uh, who is doing the work as much as what is the work that's being done on the ground. On behalf of the status team, I would like to thank you, Omar Abdelaziz Halaj, for sharing with us all this valuable information about your recent uh, and future projects. I'm Katil Hayek. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm Katil Hayek. Thank you, our listener, for joining us for this edition of Syria Now program of status.